with today's passage, in many ways, we kind of wrap up uh, Jesus's ministry in the Gospel of Matthew. And so we are going to be uh, back into Matthew chapter 25. And a couple things kind of to, to know as we uh, look at this, I want to take just a moment to kind of review. So if you uh, have missed maybe a week or two that you would know kind of where we are, but also how important kind of this is really kind of the climax of this argument and this statement that Jesus is making through chap chapters 22, 23, 24, and 25. It all kind of culminates in this one moment. And so I want to make sure that you're, you're thinking about what all has happened as we have gone through the past couple weeks. Last week, as we looked on the parable of uh, the, sorry, the parable of the 10 uh, virgins, um, we went through and we talked a little bit about Matthew chapter 24. And so I kind of broke this into kind of three things that we are told to do. And so I've got them up here on the screen, kind of our, what we call focused assignments. This is what we are supposed to be doing. This is who we are supposed to be. This is the way we're supposed to be acting in the world. We are to be people, as we see in Matthew chapter 24, of enduring love, people who have discernment for the things of God and people that are alert and mindful to God's work in our world. And so that was where we were uh, last week looking at that parable. And then this week as we, or sorry, then the week before as we were talking about the parable of the wedding banquet, uh, we were there in Matthew uh, chapter 22. And if you kind of flip back to look at that, uh, if you remember, they, uh, there's a wedding banquet. The king sends out his servants to bring in guests. He sends them out. They tell the guests, like, hey, come, we've got other stuff to do. He sends out another group. They say we have stuff to do and then end up actually killing some of those servants. Then he sends out a, three, a third group of servants and he gives them very different directions. We see that in chapter 22, verse 9. The, the statement that he makes to them is this. Go then to where the roads exit the city and invite everyone you find to the banquet. So remember that? So he, he tells them, invite everyone. So they all come. And then, so these people come in, and then we have this kind of strange statement at the end that's going to kind of come back into play into this story. But the strange statement at the end where there is one guest, y'all remember the one guest? The one guest who is not wearing the appropriate wedding garments. And so where I ended that week was asking the question, what does it mean to wear the wedding garments of the kingdom of God? What does it mean for us to wear that? And in that passage or in that story, we talked about Colossians uh, chapter 3. And so we'll look at them just real quick. Colossians chapter 3, verse 12, 13, and 14 says, Therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved, put on, this is what we are to be putting on, what? Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bearing with one another and forgiving one another, if anyone has grievance against another, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you are also are to forgive. Above all, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. So we have here in this passage, these are the things we are to be putting on. Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, faithfulness, love, peace. These are the things that we are to be putting on. If you kind of back up into that passage, we put on these garments, but verse 10 actually kind of begins this argument where Paul says to us, we have put on the new self. You are being renewed in knowledge according to the image of your creator. So what do we put on? 
We put on a new self. Okay, we're, we're gonna come back, this is, I'm giving y'all a review because we're gonna come back to it, so I wanna make sure y'all know where, where we are. We're gonna be putting on a new self. What is that new self marked by? Compassion, love, forgiveness, humility. That's, what, that's the self that we put on. And so that's kind of where we are in this story. Now, another thing to kind of think through before we look at this passage that I don't think I've talked about, but if you look at kind of the order of how Matthew does things, next week we're going to be talking about Palm Sunday, because why? It's Palm Sunday. That wasn't a trick question. We're going to talk about Palm Sunday, but we're actually going to go backwards in the text. We're going to have to go back into Matthew, go backwards from where we are now, And the reason that is important is I want you to kind of think through if Palm Sunday is behind us, we are just really a few days from Good Friday in the passage or from Monday, Thursday in the passage, where we find ourselves in this passage is in the middle of Holy Week. We're somewhere between Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, when Jesus is saying these words to his disciples. So everything is about to change. The world is about to change. And in the midst of this, in the midst of what's going on, these are the things that Jesus says to his disciples. These are his parting words in Matthew. In Luke, we have, or in John, we have this chapter's worth of this. But these are the words that he wants us to hear and that we need to be hearing as the world begins to change and as Good Friday is coming just right around the corner. So let's look at um, Matthew chapter 25. And we are going to start down there with verse 31. It says, when the son of man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them one from another, just as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right, the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed to be uh, by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in or uh, or without clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will also say to those on the left, depart from me, you who are cursed into eternal fire, prepared for the devil and and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you didn't take me in. I was naked and you didn't clothe me, sick and in prison and you didn't care for me. Then they too will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or without clothes or sick or in prison and not help you? Then he will answer them, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. And they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. 
Now, I think probably for most of us, this, this imagery is probably pretty easy. We know that during this time period that they uh, usually would put goats and sheep. Goats and sheep have very similar needs. And so they would put them in flocks together. And so this language was not something that was unheard for them where they would separate the sheep and separate the goats. Uh, sheep have different needs than goats have. Sheep stay warmer because they're covered in wool. Goats do not stay as warm. And so there were times that they would have to separate them. So the imagery, I think, makes sense. The, the problem is, is that though the imagery might make sense, the message is incredibly difficult. What, what do we do with this passage? And I think part of the, the question is not just what do we do with this passage, what do we do with one in particular verse? And in that verse, there's actually kind of two of those verses. And then what do we do with one particular word in those verses? The verses I'm talking about are verses 40 and verses 45. These are nearly identical verses, but there's one's a positive, one's a negative. The king will answer them, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. And then the negative version is, then he will answer them, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. See, there, there's a little word in here that bothers me that should probably bother you. The little word there is the word one. Or in Greek, it's, it's one word, two one. Whatever you did for one, or whatever you did not do for one. You, you see, for me, this is a struggle. Because one is a pretty high bar for us. I've probably, I think I've told y'all a version of this story. I don't know if I've told it particularly in this way, but it was, I think it was the last time I was in uh, Inez or in Martin County, Kentucky. Uh, the group, it was spring and some of you were there and we had, uh, most of the group went and worked on a ball field. They had this, they had a bad flood. So most of the group went and worked on a ball field. And then there were a few of us that worked on a trailer and the trailer was owned uh, by a couple. They were both recovering uh, opiate addicts. The, the wife worked there at uh, um, the little thrift store there for ARO. And they had a rough life, a, a rough life. And their trailer was right there uh, next to the, next to the uh, creek that ran through town. And that creek filled up. And so there was water that had come into their trailer, probably two to three feet into their trailer. And so uh, we pulled off kind of five or six people and said, hey, if y'all could work on this trailer and redo their kitchen, that would be great. And so for, from our group, it was Adam and myself. And so Adam Krager and I, we, we went into the trailer and it was one of those moments where if you have never smelled really cheap cigarettes that have lingered in a trailer for what felt like centuries, uh, you have not lived. Uh, it was, I mean, just that overwhelm where this, you open the door and it just hits you in the face. And we go in there and we were not the first group to work in this trailer. There were some other groups that had come in and what they did was a pretty normal kind of thing to do is because that water had been two or three feet and that water was nasty water because not only do creeks flood, but septic tanks flood and all other kinds of things flood when things flood. And so this water was disgusting. And so they came in and just made a four foot line all the way around this trailer. 
and took that paneling and cut the bottom four feet out, pulled the insulation out, and we're just going through fixing the bottom half of the wall where the water went above where the water had hit. Well, I don't know if you know this about paneling, but if you take paneling that was probably made in the late 70s, early 80s, which was about when this trailer was made, and then you buy new paneling and you hang it below it, those of us that are a little ADD about life, um, those lines don't match up. And so half the wall, you've got a line going here, and then when you get to the four-foot line, the line right here is now over here, and now it's going down over here. And this, your pastor didn't handle it well. And they had put like a piece of trim in the middle to try to make you where you didn't notice it, but it was really noticeable. And so Adam and I are in the kitchen, and they're saying like, okay, we've already cut the bottom four out, so just replace the bottom, then put in cabinets, put in a stove, put in a sink, all this stuff. And so I'm doing the math and I'm like, well, if a cabinet's like 42 inches, and so there's gonna be six inches of like weirdness and then another. So I give Adam a tape measure, we pull it, and it's about 12 feet from the corner to where we need to pull out and about eight feet this way. So I'm like, well, 12 divided by four is three and then eight divided by four is two. So we're talking about five sheets of paneling. And I did what I know Richard would have done, which is say, we're buying full sheets of paneling and we're ripping this whole thing out. We're not gonna put a seam in the middle. Now, that's what you would have done, right, Richard? Absolutely. So I said, we're just gonna rip it out. And so I sent somebody to the hardware store, they came back and they're like, you know, paneling $17 a sheet, so I'm 17 times five, $85, sounds like a deal. Let's do it. So we start ripping it out. And I don't mean, this is just one of those things that happen and I'm not, I don't really know this guy, but one of the guys in our group, he was from Ohio, so if you're from Ohio, I'm sorry, Pastor Ken and Nolan, but we start ripping it out, and he, he, this true story, he said to me, why are we doing all this? So we're doing all what? Like we're replacing their kitchen. He's like, no, why? Just cut a sheet in half and stick it up on the wall. And I said to him, I said, well, we, we want to do it the right way. And he said, no, this is, a, this is a mission project. We just do it so we can say we did it. I, I tried to be nice to him, but some, he couldn't handle the smell, and he ended up on the ball field later that day. Uh, but I think it might have been, been me. I don't think I was super nice to him after that. But, but the reason I, I, I try to think, like, what... What do I say back to that? And the thing that I want to say back to it that I've been kind of, this story keeps coming up in my mind this week is I keep going back to, to this verse. That this couple has had this life that I can't imagine. They have made some really, really bad choices in life. Some of their issues, or a great deal of their issues, they're self-inflicted. Some of them aren't. But when I read this verse... But what I realize is it's not, it's not just their trailer that I'm fixing. That, that is it worth $85 to fix it the right way if this was Christ's trailer? If I wasn't just doing it for them, if I was doing it for Jesus? I mean, what's another piece of paneling? 17 bucks, who cares? And that, that's, that's easy, guys. It's easy. 
because I'm on a mission trip, I'm doing the right thing, I, I know these are easy decisions to make, I can do the right thing for this couple. We're gonna get them cabinets, we went and picked out cabinets, we had to put them together, we've got a sink that actually worked. The sink, the drain actually hooked up to their septic tank, which was a new thing for them. Usually it just went out to the creek. We, we did all this work for them. But in the grand scheme of things, it was easy because I set aside a week of my life. I got to work with Adam and we spent a week in a trailer doing what we wanted to do and being able to bless a couple and it was easy. The hard part is, what about the other 51 weeks? What about the weeks and what about the people when I'm not on the mission trip? Because the bar here says, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for 50% of the people you come into contact with, you did for the least of me. Would you take those? 50%. Sounds pretty good, doesn't it? But this passage doesn't say that. Whatever you do for one, whatever you do for the guy who is standing on the side of the road with the sign that says, I'm hungry, because I know none of us have ever driven past him, right? And we do it all the time. So, so what do we do with this passage? What do we do with what Jesus is saying to us? And I think what we do with it is we have to take a step back. As most of y'all know, and not to go into a whole lecture on it, but most of y'all know for the past three years, we're about to finish up the third year that we've done this to go through a cycle of what's called the narrative lectionary. That every year we've kind of been doing the same thing. If you haven't noticed, start paying attention. In the fall, we're going to go through the Old Testament, and then when we go through the Old Testament, we're going to get into Advent, and then we're going to pick a gospel. We're going to go through a gospel. We'll do that till just after Easter. Then we're going to talk about Acts and some of the epistles, and then we'll do something different in the summer, and guess what we're going to do next fall? We're going to talk about the Old Testament, and then we're going to do a gospel, and we're going to keep doing that. Why do we do that? Because what I want you to see is, is that these stories and these verses are verses that can change your life. That the story of my life and the story of your life is not a story that is told by the world, but it's a story that's told by our God. And when this story is told by our God, it changes the way that we view other people, it changes the life that we live. And so part of this story, and part of this story that we struggle with is, is that for all of human history, we have tried to do something. All of human history. We've, we've tried to do the same thing. This is what we've tried to do. We've tried to say to God, God, you're the creator, you're the almighty, I want us to be good. What do I have to do for you and I to be good? Right? And so part of the story that we read says to us, you know what you do to be good is every, uh, like, September-ish, you come in, and if you weren't that bad, you know, 20 bucks buys you a dove, maybe $75 buys you a goat, maybe 150 bucks buys you a lamb, 
and you can go and make a sacrifice, and then you can walk out and you can say, God, we're good, right? We're good. I made the sacrifice. I fixed everything. We're good. Is that not the story we read? In all of human history, this isn't just something in the Old Testament. This is something that we as humans have tried to do. God, how can we be good? And what we've realized is that all of history, we have searched for a liturgical solution to this problem. Now, what do I mean by the word liturgical? Liturgical literally just means the work of the people or worship. So if we can come to worship, we can make it okay. If we come to worship, we can just fix whatever problem we have with God. But when it really comes down to it, that problem that I have with God, it's something that I need to fix while I'm in this room. And then when I go back out there, it doesn't really matter because next week I can fix it again. And story after story tells us the way that we fix this relationship is that we just show up and we fix it, we feel better about it, and then we just go and we just say, you know what, God, Sunday was good, but I really don't need you in my business tomorrow. I really don't need you in my life on Wednesday. And part of us looking at the Old Testament and part of us walking through this calendar the way we've done it is, is it keeps pushing these verses in front of us. So two years ago, we were in Micah, and in Micah, uh, he, Micah makes this incredible statement to us that it's a statement that's, that messes with you. And so a couple years ago, we read Micah, and Micah says to us, or God says to us through the prophet Micah, would the Lord be pleased with a thousand rams or 10,000 streams of oil? Should I give my firstborn for my transgression, the offspring of my body for my own sin? And then we have this repeat. This is actually, this is the one we did this year. Amos was, was the year before. And then Micah, remember we had the liturgical, the liturgical person says back to us, mankind, who's mankind? That's us, every one of you. Mankind, he has told you, each of you, what is good and what is what the Lord requires of you. What does God require of you? To act justly, to love faithfulness, to walk humbly with your God. And then the year before we were in Amos, and in Amos, Amos tells us something else. Even if you offer me your burnt offerings and your grain offerings, I will not accept them. I have no regard for your fellowship offerings of fatted calf. Take away from me the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps. This is what I want. Let justice flow like water and righteousness like an unfailing stream. So what, what does God want? What, what does God want? How do we, we fix this? And the story of how this is fixed is a story that says to us what God does here is that God is a God who comes to us and says, what I want you to know is that I love you. What I want you to know is that I created you and I love you more than you could ever imagine. 
And what I want is I want you to love me. But I don't just want you to love me. I want you to look at that person next to you. And I want you to realize that the person next to you, guess what? I've got some news. I, I love them just as much as I love you. And what I want is I want you to be captivated with my love for you and to be captivated with my love for your neighbor. What I want for you is for you to know that wherever you go, there is an opportunity to show other people how much I love them. And every day there's going to be opportunities and you're going to get some of them and you're going to miss a whole lot of them. But you have opportunities to show the world what it looks like to be in love with God. And what it looks like for God to be in love with them. And what I want more than anything else is I want you to know that. When you see someone hurting, when you see someone broken, when you see someone who desperately needs new walls in their trailer, that you get the opportunity to show them who God is. That what we get to do in life, we get to show up to the wedding. We get to show up to the wedding and we get to show up and we get to put on the garment. To put on the garment that reminds us, this is what my life looks like. This is what it is to live in the kingdom. This is what it looks like to be people of grace. This is what it looks like to put on that garment and to show the world what compassion is, what life is. It's way easier, way easier to just think, you know what? I'll just show up. I'll show up and find that other solution, but that solution isn't the solution that God wants for you. The solution he wants is to heal your life to bring you new life, to bring you something, a life that truly does matter. To bring you something where God is there working and where God is doing something incredible in your life. Part of what we know is that with all of these things, these actions, they're simple. That days that Adam and I spent in that trailer, the days that our teens spent clearing out dugouts with mud. It's really simple. The hard part's the consistency. And I know for some of us, what we need more than anything else is for God to be able to say to us, I want to be with you and for you, to put on that wedding garment, to know that you have been set free. And in being set free, we are set free to serve our neighbor set free to show that love, set free to be people who show the world what and who God is.
We're set free. The passage that Barry read earlier for us out of Romans is a passage that sometimes we look at the end of it and that's the one we talk about. Romans 6.23, a lot of people, you can say, for the wages of sin are death, the wages of sin are death. Absolutely. But if you back up just a little bit, hear what verse 22, what Paul says to us. But now, since you have been set free from sin and have given yourself over to God, Paul uses the language, enslaved to God, because you have been set free from sin and now you are serving God. Look at that next little line. You have your fruit. What, what, what does he say? You have your fruit. Your love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. And what does that fruit result in? Sanctification. And what's the outcome of that life? Eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is the eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So we are a people who are sent out, a people who get towards the middle of Holy Week, and as we get towards the middle of Holy Week, we look at a Christ who says to us, when you do this to the least of these, you're doing it to me. When you show compassion, when you show life, when you show your fruit, you're doing it to me. Now, not to get ahead of the story, but in a couple weeks, we're going to join here in the sanctuary on Good Friday, and we're going to talk about what happened on Good Friday And the question of the righteous in this parable comes back to haunt us. Lord, when did we see you starving? When did we see you thirsty? When did we see you naked? When did we see you a stranger? When did we see you in prison? And you know, Jesus wants to say, just wait a few days. You're going to see all of that. Because the people are hurting the most, they are the ones that I identify with. They're the ones that I went to the cross for. And guys, this morning, as we come together and as we celebrate together, we come together as the people of God to say, God, I, 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 can't, I can't serve everybody. I can't fix everything. You, you know I can't. And I don't think God expects us to. But Lord, whatever part of my life that I am holding back, whatever piece of that, whatever times in my life that I'm standing there not wearing the wedding garment, Lord, speak to me. Help me to be the person of compassion. Help me to be the person of fruit. Help me to be the person that shows the world what God is doing. Help me see my neighbor as a person that God loves. Help me see the world as people that desperately need to know 
how much you love them. And today, as we are just a couple weeks away from Easter, my hope and my prayer is that we can just come to commit ourselves to being those people. To say as a church, Lord, I, I can't do it. I can't get every one. But Lord, open up my eyes to the ones that I can. Help me see them as people that need to see you. And today, as we close, uh, John's going to come and we're going to sing a song about the gospel. To be reminded that we have a story to tell to a world that is hurting. And today, as we close, we're going to close as we were kind of closing pre-Lent. That if you would like to pray with a pastor, Pastor James will be right down at this altar and he would love the opportunity to pray with you. If you say, you know, Pastor, as you read some of those verses, one of my struggles is, is I, I, don't, I don't have that relationship with God. I, I, I need to talk to somebody about that. James would love to talk to you about that. For some of you, might just need a touch. Might need to know that God is a God who touches both physical, spiritual, emotional pain, and I would love the opportunity that if you would like to be anointed for healing, I'll be right down at this altar. But for the rest of us, we, we might just need to find a place to say, God, I, I can do the little things. Those are easy. But God, I struggle with the consistency. I struggle with listening to your voice. I struggle with putting on compassion. I struggle with seeing my neighbor as someone that God loves. God, I want to be that person. I, I want to be that person not because I think it fixes this relationship. I want to be that person because I know this relationship was already fixed. And I want to live your life out. And today, if you want to come and just find a place and just say, Lord, I, it's yours. I need your guidance. I just pray that you come and just find a place to kneel. Just say, God, it's yours. Let us stand as we sing.